Yeah, I have on Sunday morning for some time now been sharing with you a little series of messages where we find the term, but God, but God. And I've told you the story about how that I noticed it on the back glass of a car that parks right down here where we first turn in uh, to come up to the church, and that was on the back glass. And I looked in the Bible and I found that there was, I think, 43 times in the Scripture that it has that. So I've been thinking about, and meditating on, and praying about some of these texts that have that in it. And there are lots of wonderful things that we learn about that. And of course, most of them, uh, it's uh, talking about divine intervention where God steps in, something's going on, and God steps in, and He changes things. And we can rejoice in most of them. Of course, this morning I'm going to share one that anyone that's in this position or place would not rejoice because God steps in for things like that too. God intervenes in at times and it's not a happy occasion, and so that's going to be uh, what it's about this morning. We've looked at some uh, really interesting text that has that in it. I love the 73rd Psalm. I have for many, many years. It is an eye-opening psalm. And in that psalm, the psalmist starts off, and he begins to share how he feels about what he's observing in the world around him. And what he's observing is that everybody is just blessed as they can be, and they don't serve God. They're, they just live a good life, and they prosper, and they're godless people. And it got to him to the point to where he said, I was almost gone. He said, until I went in the sanctuary of the Lord, and I learned their end. And then that made a difference. And in that text he says, but God is the strength of my heart. Christian, how many times have you had something to bother you that is going on in the world around you, and then somehow God speaks to your heart, either through the reading of the Word, or preaching of the Word, or the teaching of the Word of God, and then you come to the point where you say, Oh, I see, and I understand that. I understand that. So the psalmist, God intervened in him. Then we saw how that the Lord uh, had intervened in Jonah's experience, and he was burning up in the wilderness and the heat, and God caused the gourd to grow up to shade him and took good care of him. And that's a picture of how God provides the things that we need in life uh, to make life better for us. But then it says, but God... Uh, but God made a worm that eat the gourd and cut it down and destroyed uh, the gourd that was protecting him. So that's a bad experience. And then we, talk, we learned about Joseph in the book of Acts. It talks about the fact that the patriarchs uh, moved and sold him into Egypt and all that he would have experienced in that. And not many uh, uh, months ago, I preached a whole series on the experience of Joseph, but it says, but God was with him. And then we looked at one that's not divine intervention, it's just a statement of fact, or it's a statement of elimination, where 
the Pharisees, when Jesus told that uh, man that your sins are forgiven, they said that's blasphemy. Nobody can forgive sins but God. And that was true too. So we learned about that. Now this morning we come to this story of a fool. Yes, that's what God called him. God called him a fool. And I'm going to read the account beginning in verse 13 of the 12th chapter of Luke. And we'll read together down through verse 21. And here's what it says beginning in verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, now that said to Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he divide his inheritance with me. And he answered him, Man, who made me judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruit and my goods. And I will lay... I will say to my soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God, and here's the intervention. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? And then verse 21, So is he that layeth up treasures for himself, and is not rich toward God. And is not rich toward God. Now first of all, well I want to share with you two things that jumped out in this passage of Scripture at me that I thought was worthy of our consideration. And this is what the two things are. First of all, there is in this passage of Scripture a statement of fact that is important. And of course, as we study the Word of God, we find that often in the Scriptures. The Bible just says it, and that's the way it is. No matter what, that's the way it is. So we have in this text a statement of fact, and second, we have in here a serious warning. Those are the two things I want to focus on. But first of all this morning some things that I think is interesting in this, in this story. About three things that I think are interesting in the story. First of all, this comes to us in the form of a parable. And I've known for many years that this is a, uh, a blessed way of learning the Scripture and studying the Word of God is by taking a special attention uh, to the parables that we find in the Bible. They're all through the Bible, but primarily in the, in the New Testament. There are over 30 of them in the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are different from John. They're different in a lot of ways from John. And so there are over 30 of them in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and there's none in the book of John. 
And so the parables are important. As a matter of fact, you can turn back with me, if you'd like, to the book of Mark and the fourth chapter, and something is stated there that I believe is really important. In Mark, in chapter number 4, and here's what it says in verse 33 and 34. And with many such parables spake he, talking about Jesus, the word unto them as they were able to hear it. But without parables spake he not unto them, and when they were alone, he expounded all things uh, to his disciples. And that ought to key us into something, that they are very important. Now the question that comes, of course, is why did Jesus teach in parables? And he did a lot. We know that. And so we find that in the 13th chapter of Matthew, and sometime if you want to read the whole chapter, it's a, it, it is an important chapter. In the book of Matthew, in chapter 13, Jesus explains the reason why he taught in parables. The disciples asked him why. Lord, why do you teach in parables? He said, because unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. I want you to know this morning, that's how we know the mysteries of the kingdom. It is given. If it is not given, we cannot know. And so he even explains that. And so Jesus taught in parables to reveal the truth and also to conceal the truth. That's what he was doing that for. And he said that in Matthew chapter 13. So the parables are very important. Another thing that, I, that caught my attention in this story is a contrast. And the contrast is this. It goes, uh, the statement, many years and this night. That is a contrast. We find that in the, uh, in the uh, 19th verse, this is what the farmer said. He said, Thou hast much laid up much good for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And then in the very next verse, and this is where we find the statement, but God, but God said, Thou fool, this day, or this, uh, yeah, this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Now that's a contrast. And you know, it describes, I believe, uh, all of us. Every one of us, no matter where we are in life, we're always thinking about the future. We're thinking about tomorrow. We're concerned about our needs being met. Nothing wrong with that. And so we plan our life. We plan it out. There's been very few times that I've ever had a conversation with someone where that was not true. And many, many times over the years, I've stood at the bed of someone who had come to the very end of their life. And apart from divine intervention, they were not going to live any longer. It was really over. And I want you to know that has been an experience that I've had in the ministry that I really wouldn't take anything for. Good and bad, of course. And so uh, there, are, there have been people who are not planning for the future. All they're planning for, if they're planning at all, is uh, their concern about their family and their friends that they're about... Uh, to leave behind. But most of us, most of us, and it don't matter how old we are, 
you know, I've gotten old. Just look at the color of my hair and my beard, and you'd know I was an old man. But anyway, I still think about tomorrow. I think about the future. I think about my comfort. I think about my necessities being met in life. We all think that way. That's perfectly normal. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're to be a good steward of those things that God blesses us with in life, meeting our needs. And so, uh, but for this man, he was uh, making his plans for the future and God intervened and God stepped in. And so it went from uh, many years, what he was saying, to this night was what God said. What God said. And you know, I'll, I say this all the time, we ought to always be prepared for whatever comes in life. The most important preparation that could ever be made is to be ready if that time come. If that come come, are you ready? Are you prepared? Uh, would it be a shock to you? Or would you think to yourself, well, I knew that day was coming, and so I'm ready for that day. I'm ready to meet the Lord. I'm ready to go be with Him. So I think this is an interesting uh, contrast that's set out there. And then uh, the other thing that got my attention when I was reading over this, that God called him a fool. God himself called this man a fool. And I want you to let that sink in this morning. I want you to think about that a little bit. Because when I come to the end of the message this morning, I'm going to make a point related to what God called him. What God called him. Now what is a fool? Well, I think everybody would know this morning that a fool is someone who acts foolishly. Someone who acts foolishly. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to bring that point up. Maybe I need to define that a little bit. Some, what it means to act foolishly. Well, you probably already know this, but the fool is mentioned in the book of Proverbs many times. Many, many times. I'm going to share some of those that I found in the book of Proverbs related to the fool. And so we're all going to understand this morning how a fool acts. What the attitude or uh, mindset of a fool is. And, and, and I'm just going to tell you these. If you're taking notes, you can uh, just briefly write down these references and look them up later. Or I'll give you this piece of paper that I, I've got after the service and you can uh, take them and write those down. But in the 18th chapter and the 7th verse, it tells us that a fool is someone that continues foolish things to their own destruction. Now, how many times have we known people act like that? I do. I know people right now. Sue and I were talking about this the other day. We were saying so and so is going to leave this world if they don't stop this foolishness. And it's true. It's true no matter what it is. And I know probably many of you have known people who have uh, had foolish actions in life uh, that was to their own destruction. And they kept continuing to do that. God said that's a fool. God says that's a fool. In the first chapter and the 22nd verse of that book, it is one who takes no pleasure in understanding. Oh, I'm glad I preach to a lot of people who love to learn the Word of God, love to be able to take these principles that are set down and take it out in life and put it to practice 
to our own blessing and our own good in life. I thank God for a congregation like that. Boy, I tell you what, it wouldn't be no fun to preach the Word of God at all if it was a congregation of people that didn't pay any attention. Oh, there are some that don't. Obviously, that would be the case no matter what. But I'm thankful to be able to preach to people who enjoy understanding things, enjoy learning things. And so in chapter 1 and verse 22, those who take no pleasure in understanding, God calls them a fool. In the 18th chapter, in the second verse, uh, those who enjoy wicked schemes, God says they are fools. In the 10th chapter, in the 23rd verse, those who proclaim folly, those who proclaim foolishness are fools. In chapter 12 and verse 23, talks about uh, those who spurn parental discipline uh, can be a fool. And uh, in 15 cha- uh, chapter, in the 5th verse, it says those who speak perversely are fools. In, 19, in the ver- ch- 19th chapter, in the 1st verse, those who are quick-tempered uh, God calls a fool. In the 12th chapter and the 16th verse, those who get in trouble by proud speech are called fools. In chapter 14 and verse 3, those who mock sin, God says, are fools. In chapter 14 and verse 9, those who are deceitful are called fools. In chapter 14 and verse 8, those who, those who despise their parent are called fools. In chapter 15 and verse 2, those who bring grief to their parents are called fools. In chapter 17 and verse 25, those who commit sexual immorality are called fools. In chapter 6 and verse 23, a foolish woman who tears down her own house is called a fool. And of course the ultimate one is they who say in their heart, there is no God, is a fool. Now, did you know that Proverbs gave that kind of description of what a fool is? Well, I want you to know this morning that the unique thing about this story is that God calls this man a fool. Now, I want you to keep that in your mind. I'm going to make a point related to that. Now, I'm going to get to those two points that I wanted to share with you. In this story, there is a statement of fact. There is a statement of fact. And it's in a couple of places in this parable. The first one is in verse 15 and the last part of the verse. Now these are going to be statements of fact. In the last part of verse 15 of our text it says, For a man's life uh, consisteth not in the abundance of things that he possesseth. Now, that's a statement of fact. It come from the Bible. Guess who said it? Jesus Christ said it. Almighty God has proclaimed that to all of us this morning. It's just a statement of fact. A man or a woman's life consisteth not of the things which he possesseth. It, and that's what, now, the world don't think like that, amen? That this is something, of course, it should not surprise us. There's a lot of things that are stated in the Bible that the world don't agree with. The world don't act like that's true. It goes on anyway. So we live in a world that is totally different from this. 
live in a world where very few people understand that a person's life consisteth not in the things that he possesseth. Now, first of all, it is obvious in that statement that Jesus made that he's making reference to material things. I want you to know that. You know that already because he's had somebody uh, come to him in this chapter and ask him to intervene and speak to his brother that he divideth his inheritance with me. That's what inspired all of that. It inspired it. This is who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to that man who asked Jesus to intervene and cause his brother to share his inheritance. So obviously, it is material thing. But I want to call something to your attention this morning. I believe it can be more than material things. Material things. I thought about that uh, terminology that you hear every once in a while. Someone will, it'll be a case with someone and, and you'll hear the remark, well, he owns it. He owns it. And it may be something other than material things that they're talking about. So it doesn't necessarily mean material things. And, and so, uh, and the verse suggests that simply because of the attitude of this young man who asked Jesus to intervene. Uh, so uh, you make, I, I've made this statement a lot of times about some of the, and it's true, it's so true, some of the poorest people that I've ever known in life, in my opinion, and in theirs too, have been some of the richest people that I've ever known. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I thank my God that He let me pastor in the coal fields, in the deepest part of Appalachia you could get. You can't go no deeper. You can't go no deeper than to go... Uh, into St. Charles, Virginia, up between two big mountains, and every little road is a name of a coal camp, Bonnie Blue, Benedict, different ones. They all come to a dead end, and those people, that's where they live. And at one time, the coal uh, jobs were good, and, and they lived in, in coal camps. The, the houses were owned by the coal companies. You heard that story, that song by... Uh, let's see, I forget who sung it. Uh, talks about the company store. The company store. Hoy, huh? Ernie for 16 ton. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Uh, St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Well, I tell you what, I had the opportunity to pastor in a depressed area. Now, of course, when I was there, it wasn't quite so much as it had been. And, of course, now it's worse. It's even worse uh, in, in those places. But sometimes you find uh, people who uh, seem to be very poor, but they are really rich. Let me share this verse of Scripture. It says this in Proverbs 13 and verse 7, "...there is that maketh himself rich." yet hath nothing, and there is that, and make of themselves poor, yet hath great riches. Did you know sometimes there are people who are not very wealthy by choice? Did you know that? They choose not to be really wealthy. And it's, it's rare, but I've known many people like that that passed up opportunities in life to be very wealthy. Heard some 
People talking the other day about, of course, these uh, uh, lottery uh, things, you know, you hear them, what, what this lottery is worth and stuff like that. Mind-boggling amounts and everything. And people talk about it. And I heard a conversation about that. And somebody made the remark that they had seen a program, I think it was on TV, where just about every one of these that won these big lotteries, it had ended up ruining their life. And you know that can be true. It can be true no matter how wealth is acquired. No matter how. You know, I, I want, I'm going to make this point. I want you to listen real careful. There's no sin in being wealthy. If you want to know about that, look up Abraham what's said about him. He was, in his day, probably the most wealthy man on the face of the earth. Very well could have been. And you know what? The Bible is very clear about where his wealth come from. The Bible says it was given him of God. He acquired his wealth because of God's blessing in his life. There's no sin in wealth. The sin is in misplaced priorities. I say this all the time. It's not what you own. It is if it owns you. In other words, if, what, if, you, if your worldly possessions dictate what you do, what you think, what your attitude is, how you treat people, and especially whether or not you're rich toward God. You see, that's the problem that people have. You know, there's a passage of Scripture uh, that talks about the love of money. And I'm going to read that Scripture passage to you. And I'm going to not only read that statement, you hear people say that all the time. Uh, they say uh, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. And, and it's not money. Money is not necessarily the root of all evil. It's the love of it. And if you love money, you don't love God. You can't love both. Does not the Bible say that? It says that. It actually makes that statement. The Bible does. And here's what, here's what the rest of that verse says. They talk about, they just make quote part of it. Love of money is the root of all evil. That's what it says. Which, here's the rest of it. While some coveted after... They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's what the rest of that verse says there. So we have here a statement of fact, and that is that a man's life consists not in the uh, amount of things that he possesses. And sometimes it can be things that are not material. And we own them. We own them. There can be bad things uh, that come from that. It might be a bad reputation in life that is acquired, is acquired, and the in the impact it has on other people, or bad character and etc. that comes along in life uh, that is is bad, and so. Uh, the, the Bible talks about what, what we leave behind. There's a funeral text that I preach from occasionally, and I don't know if I can, uh, I can't quote it, 
uh, but maybe I can find it right quickly and read it. Uh, uh, yes, it says this. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. That's good, isn't it? Amen. Blessed. And they are. Amen. That's the way I want to die. If I have to die before the Lord comes back again, I want to die that way. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And here's the point that I make uh, when I'm doing a funeral, uh, using that passage of Scripture. Of course, strictly speaking, this verse of Scripture means that their works do follow them, and we stand before the Lord someday, and we're judged related to our works and our rewards in heaven are going to come from that. But you know what? There's another thing in that. There's another thing about that. You see, whenever people leave this world, they really and truly, their works follow them even here on this earth. Their, their works. Their works follow them. And you know, there are people who die and leave this world, and people would say, and they talk about that person, and they would say, you know, this is what I appreciated about them, and I want to be, I want to be like them. You remember the, the little commercial uh, talking about Michael Jordan? It says, I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Mike. You know something? I read this one time, that a person that is conscientious, they go through life, they may be unaware of this, but they note, the traits of people that they're around, and they pick those good things that they like about someone, and they want that to be like that. And so they adopt those things. Those things that they don't like, they reject them, and they don't want to be like that. And so when I read that, it come up, you know, that all of us, whether we're aware of it or not, we have taken those good points that from people that we've known and we've thrown aside the bad things of people that we've known. And you know, in my own family, in years gone by, there have been family members, I tell you, you'd be surprised about some of the things family members done. And uh, James Turpin and I have a good time in a conversation every once in a while because we share family members in years gone by and some of them we sure don't want to be like. We don't want to be like them. I had two or three, one of my grandmothers, I had, had two or three sisters that went to the pen, went to the penitentiary back in the 20s and 30s <laughs> because of things they did. So there are things we don't want we don't want to be like this person or that person, but we admire characteristics of others and we want to adopt that for ourselves. And so, listen, if you go from this world by death before Jesus comes back again, what might people say about you? I want, this is something I remember about this person. I remember some of my family members when I was a little boy. I've told you about this. I thought my grandfather hung the moon. I followed him everywhere he went. Gene, it was Papa. Everywhere he went, I followed him with my hands behind my back just like him. I wanted to be like Papa. I thought Papa was 
uh, the greatest man ever. And they may not have been. You know, he probably wasn't. There's things he did that wasn't good. I know that. But that was a little boy's view. And, uh, and uh, so I wanted to be like him. And you know, he would uh, chew tobacco and he twist his own tobacco and he chewed it straight, straight. One day we was out in the backyard and he got him off a big plug and put it in his mouth and he said, Son, do you want to chew? And I said, Yes, I want him to be like Papa. And so he cut me off a piece of that tobacco, gave it to me and I put it in my mouth. I was right on the verge of passing out. The next thing that happened, I was going to puke. <laughs> And all at once he said, Son, you spit that out. Don't you ever let me catch you with that stuff in your mouth again. I just gladly did. I gladly spit it out. But we, we want to be like someone. And you know, uh, we, uh, a man's life. I, I want you to think about that. Because you might be a good example for your children and your grandchildren and all the other young'uns that you know. They might want to be be like you. I remember one time that I made a statement from the pulpit. I said, my two boys, Tim and Greg, I, I'm not going to leave them much material possessions. I've given it away, but what I'm going to leave them is a good example. I want to. Whether I am or not, I want to. That's the way I said it. And so Tim come up to me after the services and he said, Dad, after that remark you made, Greg and I have got discussed this matter and we're going to go ahead and put you in the nursing home. <laughs> That's what he told me. Of course, if you know Tim, he comes up with stuff like that all the time. And so, this is a statement of fact. Now there's another one, another statement of fact that's found in verse 21. And here's what it says. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's a statement of fact. There are people that are not rich toward God. Now let me tell you a little story. When I was in Bible college, I had a professor that required that we take a notebook and that we start keeping a diary. And I remember what I thought, well that's girl stuff. Diaries are girl stuff. But it was required... It was required. I wanted to pass the course and everything. And so I got a little notebook and I began to, and here's what the professor said, you write down every single thing that you do or are involved in every single day, time, when it start, when it finished and all that. That's what I want you to do. And so I did it, like other uh, members of that class did. And then when it come to the end... He explained the reason why he did that. He said, it is extremely important, men, that you invest time and thought and meditation on the Lord, on His Word, and how that you could be used of Him for His honor and His glory. And you know what? That was an eye-opening experience. What I discovered was, I spent a whole lot more time on other things, thinking about other things and meditating on other things. And so it made me aware, and that's what he did it for. He did it for that. Made me aware of how much time and effort that I spend things related to the Lord. And I want to tell you something, it had an impact on my life. I developed some habits that have stayed with me all during this time, all down through the time. 
And you know what? I've come to the place in life where no matter what else I'm doing, I'm thinking about, most of the time when I preach something, I've been thinking about it for weeks. I've been taking little notes and everything for weeks and weeks. And I'm kind of feeble-minded. I have to do that. I have to do that. I would never be able to preach if I didn't try to do that. And so what has happened to me over the years is, even oftentimes I wake up during the night and I'm thinking about a passage of Scripture in the Bible. And uh, I'll tell you about a dream that I have often, and uh, I'm going to have to do something about it. But I'll have a dream. And the dream is that I've taken a text and I've preached a barn burner. I mean, I've preached a sermon that's going to change the world. Revival's going to break out over this and everything. That's my dream. And I think when I finally wake up, you know you dream when you're waking up. That's when you dream. And I think when I get up, I'm going to write down some notes about that. And then, of course, when I get up, I can't remember nothing about it. Not a thing about it. So what I'm going to have to do is... When I wake up after a dream, I need to jump out of the bed. I need to get me a pencil and piece of paper, and I need to write it down because I won't remember it if I don't. And so what happens is we spend our time and our effort and our meditation and our thoughts. That Listen, folks, this is what it means to not be rich toward God. That's the meaning of that. This farmer, all of his thoughts... And all of his plans had to do with laying up much good so he could take his ease for many years. And uh, what does it say about that? He says, and uh, here take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry for many years to come. He was not rich toward God. That's a statement of fact. And some that are listening to this message this morning, either that are here, or maybe by way of the internet, uh, maybe listening to this message and say, Preacher, what you've shared has made me think about that. All of my thoughts and all of my plans are about work and pleasure and things that are not related to God. If I think at all, it might be when I'm at church or whatever, but I take my Bible, well, maybe you don't even bring your Bible to church with you, but I take my Bible home and I lay it down. I never open it up again. I never think anything more about that uh, until maybe I come back to church again. Folks, you better be careful. You may be one who is not rich toward God. You very well may be. And I want to tell you something, to continue on in your life and not make any change related to that may be tragic. But not only is a statement of fact, but also, and I'll have to do this real quick, is that there's a serious warning. And that serious warning comes in the 15th verse of this, and the first part of it, and He said unto them, Take heed. You know, I looked that up one time. How many times that's found in the Scripture? I, I may be wrong about it, but I think it was over 140 times in the Scripture that that statement is made. Take heed. But Jesus said, take heed 
and beware of covetousness. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I've shared it many times talking about covetousness. Uh, Paul said in the book of Colossians, it is as the sin of idolatry. I looked up a definition. The Bible definition of covetousness is this. It is an insatiable desire. That word insatiable, insatiable means impossible to satisfy. An insatiable desire to find fulfillment, meaning, and purpose in things. In other words, it means that's the only thing that we think about and the only thing that we do. We don't think about anything else. That's what covetousness is. And we can covet things. We can covet people. You all know that the Bible says in the Old Testament, we're not to covet your neighbor's wife. You're not to cover his, covet his livestock. It's things like that. It's wanting what somebody else has got. You know, I heard somebody get around that one day. They said, well, I tell you what, I wish he had one a whole lot better than I had his. <laughs> well, that didn't, get it, that didn't get you past. It was a car that somebody wanted and uh, things like that. But that's, that's the warning that is in this. Covetousness. Covetousness. And uh, not being rich toward God. Now, folks, I want to tell you, I've done said this. It's, it's not a sin to have things. It's not a sin to be a good steward. I can share with you. I don't know if I can find it right quickly. I want you to listen to this passage of Scripture. This is in Ecclesiastes 5.19. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth. Now listen to this. And hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. That's what the Bible says. This is the gift of God. Several times in Ecclesiastes, it talks about enjoying the things that God has blessed one with. There's nothing, there's not a sin in that. Well, where's the sin, preacher? The sin is, let me read these verses real fast. We're running out of time. And it says in Deuteronomy 8 and 13, and when the when thy herds and thy flock are multiplied, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. In other words, it takes the place of any meditation on God, or on God's Word, or on God's thing. In other words, it moves in and takes it out. God warned about that. He warned about it. Listen to this. The Bible says this in Matthew 19, verse 23. Then said Jesus unto His disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it's rare. I'm telling you, you can be wealthy and be rich toward God too. But it's rare, the Bible says, for obvious reasons. And in Mark chapter 4 and verse 19, And the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in and choke the Word and it become unfruitful. It's like coming to church and hearing this message 
And by the time you get to the car, you don't remember none of it because your mind is on all these other things. Some of you, you'll want to know right the next thing you'll want to think of is where I'm going to eat dinner <laughs> and what I'm going to have. And you don't think. In other words, it don't stick with you. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that. And then the Bible says this, But they that will be rich, this is in 1 Timothy 6, 9, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which draw men in destruction and perdition. It's dangerous. But I want to tell you something. I want you to know this morning, you can be wealthy and you can be rich toward God too. It's not one or the other. It's make sure we are rich toward God first. Seek you first the kingdom and all these other things will be added unto you, Jesus said. So seek first. Make it a priority. And then I want to close with this thought. Folks, let me tell you something. You don't want to leave this world and stand before the Lord to hear what He will say if you're not rich toward God. I thought about this. Uh, the first thing that come to my mind, I know a couple of things that, God, that the Lord may say to people. The first thing the Lord may say is, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. How many of you would like to hear that come from the lips of our Savior? Well done. You did a good job. Well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You know something else He's going to say? Depart from me. I never knew you. And who he said that to was said, Lord, look at all these things we've done. And he said, Depart from me. I never knew you. And then this is speculation. Maybe somebody can give me a scripture passage that bear this out, but I'm just going to tell you if if the Lord called this man a fool and took his life. The Lord may say, Thou fool, to some other people when they stand before Him one day. If it happened here, it can happen there. Amen? So, thou fool. I tell you what, you know, anybody in this world can, I don't know that anybody's ever called me a fool. If they have, I don't remember it, or I didn't pay attention to it, or I didn't hear them. In later years, I've ha- I might not have heard it. <laughs> but anyway, I wouldn't want the Lord to call me a fool. That would be tragic. Now folks, we're going to have an invitation. And if the Lord's spoken to you this morning, you can respond. Or you can go your way and forget it. Forget it. Somebody told me the other day, when your memory goes... You can just forget it. (laughs) It's true. Sometimes we do. We do that. Father, we thank You for this parable. We thank You for all the many lessons we can learn from it. We haven't addressed them all this morning. There are so many. But thank You for putting it in the Word for us. Thank You for putting it in here with that statement. But God, as He intervened in the plans of this farmer... Lord, help us to understand whether or not 
it's important in this life, there are some things that are going to be the only thing that matters one day. The only thing that matters one day. Oh, speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to be in the center of your will. And that's our humble prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, would you stand with me while Brother Aaron leads us in a closing number?